Commission's office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that'll help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Melissa Raines, a former Director of Merit Scholarships at Duke University and an Ingenious Prep Counselor, about Duke University and specifically about what applicants need to do to be considered for a coveted Merit Scholarship. Hi, Melissa. How are you today? Hi, Ellen. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you today. So to start off, could you just tell me a little bit more about yourself and about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a BA in interdisciplinary studies and gifted education. So in my first iteration of life, I was a a K-12 school teacher, specifically working with gifted students. And when I went back to pursue my master's degree, I entered into the higher education administration field. I had actually been working with some scholarship programs here in North Carolina, where I'm based, with um, an education focus. And I just really loved working with college students. So I pursued a higher education degree. And through that, I came over to Duke University. And I've done a lot of different things at Duke. I developed gifted programming for their summer pre-college. I did some advising. I did some teaching. um, But a lot of my time was spent as the director of the Merit Scholarships Office. And so that was where I spent the bulk of my time um, for the last three to five years doing kind of... um, working in different capacities to help select our merit scholars each year. I'd love to establish some sort of just basic facts about admissions at Duke. So what kind of students would you say Duke is looking for? You know, what attributes might students kind of explore if they're looking to showcase school fit in their application? So I often talk to students who ask this question about the change over time in the U.S for what college admissions officers look for. So way back in, you know, the olden days when I was going to college, they really cared a lot about a student being the quote unquote well-rounded. But the focus in the last decade or so has kind of shifted to less of a well-rounded student and more of a well-rounded class. So the director of of Duke Admissions used to share kind of his fun little term that he created for that called Inegi. And what that kind of meant was a student who was intellectually engaged both in and outside of the classroom. So that certainly doesn't mean that you shouldn't explore things that you enjoy doing that aren't directly related to what you think you might want to study in college, but particularly for some of those higher, more competitive, like computer science, engineering, you know, math, um, nursing, they want to see that you actually have spent time in high school in that space. Um, And so maybe some of the extra things that you do that are volunteer based on the surface actually are also based in one of those areas. So certainly there's room for an expectation that students are exploring not just their academic area, but 
really what they're looking at today is students who are taking the initiative to go outside of the classroom. Leadership also is super important, um, and that can take a lot of different forms. It can be in a school club. It can be starting your own foundation. Um, and then impact. Um, there's a lot of focus now on what kind of impact have you made in your school, but also in your community. So those are kind of the areas. And then, of course, always academics. But I, I say this with a grain of salt that almost all students applying to top schools these days are going to have the top academics, right? So that's not the place where you're differentiating yourself anymore these days. What would you say differentiates Duke from other elite schools? Um, well, the one thing I can speak to when we a little bit further, definitely the way they do their merit scholarships is a little unique. They don't have applications for most of them. A lot of other schools are kind of shifting that way. Um, but Duke's been doing that for quite a while. And I, I don't know that I can say that other elite schools don't do this, but I will say that Duke places a huge emphasis on um, professor-student relationships and getting students involved early in research. And research, I think a lot of people think of, oh, that's me in a lab and it's only STEM related, but there are so many amazing research opportunities in just about any field. And um, Duke has such strong graduate programs that that makes access to undergraduate research really easy. So I will say that's the strength of Duke, definitely. They put a lot of work and emphasis into programs that help develop those relationships with professors early on. And I think that that helps their success rate with students getting into graduate school or winning nationally competitive scholarships like the Rhodes and Marshall and Mitchell. Have you ever encountered any sort of specific misconceptions about Duke or about applying to Duke, the Duke admissions process? One thing that is not necessarily specific to Duke, but to quite a lot of elite schools in the U.S. is diversity, that there's a misconception that, you know, schools are still like Duke is just filled with wealthy white students. And while certainly there's a lot of work to still be done in that area, um, I will say that Duke does a really good job of, you know, providing financial aid. They're need blind, as are many top schools now, unfortunately not for international students, um, but they have established some really amazing scholarships that international students, you know, are eligible for. So I think that Students sometimes have a misconception that if they don't, that they won't find a community for themselves at Duke. And I would say there are a lot of different communities and groups and organizations supporting lots of diversity, and they continue to do better and better with that. Could you walk me through what a day would look like as you're um, in your role as the director of merit scholarships during each season of the application cycle? So my role was twofold. One was on selection and the other was on support once the scholars get there um, because the scholarships at Duke include programming for all of the you know students that are, are merit scholars. So it's a year round kind of process. We, had, we did a lot of planning for the upcoming year in the summer, just like they do in the admissions office. And I worked directly with a specific liaison in the admissions office and read directly applications, you know, that were being submitted. Each scholarship also has a faculty director. So kind of the way that the process breaks down is I establish protocols with the faculty director, just like an admissions office has goals for what they are trying to bring into their cohort for that year. So do merit scholarships. So based on the criteria, based on, you know, what 
we determine is missing in the cohort that, or that we'd like to see more of. Maybe we want to see more females in engineering, or we needed more people from a certain part of the country or certain, you know, international countries. So we would establish those kind of priorities. And then we just work directly with admissions. I would present to the admissions staff to talk about those priorities and what was really important. And then I read in the same system that the application that the, you know, AOs and the readers are in. And so basically applications that any reader thought might be a good fit for a merit scholarship would come to me. I would do the first read and then I would kind of sort them into buckets um, based on what they might or might not be eligible for. Some of them could be eligible for more than one. Some would come through and I would read and think, oh, well, this doesn't really meet any of the criteria. And those would go back to admissions. Um, Most of the students I was reading were likely admits or what the admissions world kind of calls a direct admit. So it's a a spot that those AOs are using for someone without having to send the student to committee. But it just depended on where they were in the process. We also do um, at Duke read ED and RD together. So there's no benefit in terms of merit scholarships for applying ED versus RD. Once the kind of, you know, group is set, the faculty director and I would pull together a committee of readers for each scholarship. So those would be mostly made up of professors and high-level administrators. There'd be anywhere from, you know, five to 12 people on a reading team, just depending on how many scholarships were being offered by that specific program, because every year, you know, the numbers changed. And then we would go through multiple reading processes, and we would, at each level, narrow down, narrow down, narrow down until we got to a finalist pool. And those students would be invited to, at that point, submit some additional information and come for an interview. Now, pre-COVID, we used to do that in person. It was kind of like a big fun, you know, on-campus weekend visit. Um, but for the past few years, it's it's all been, you know, done remotely. And after that level from the finalists, after they go through interviews and do all the other components, um, then they select awards and alternates. And then it's just kind of a matter of, if they accept or not, to come to Duke. Could you also break down the different scholarship options? So I know we have merit, we have need-based. Could you kind of just give a little definition of each, the differences, similarities? All of Duke scholarships are considered full-ride merit scholarships um, for incoming students. They Duke does not offer partial merit like some other schools do. Um, they don't match national merit. They don't match other scholarship offers that you've received. So the breakdown within each scholarship is pretty clearly defined on their website and some require need and some do not. So again, they're all considered in the same way. They all go through the same process. They're all full ride merit scholarships. They just have different criteria, need being one of them. Another criteria could be geography. There's a specific scholarship that's only for students from North and South Carolina, because that, you know, is what was important to the funders of that scholarship. There's a scholarship that's set up only for international students, because that family wanted to support international students coming to Duke. So each criteria, each scholarship just has its own specific criteria. Need is just one of them. And they, again, don't all require need. Some do, some don't. What misconceptions do you often find that students or parents have about scholarships, especially merit scholarships? Yeah, this is a great question because um, I also was a parent going through the process and a few, you know, several years ago. 
And you would think, given the fact that I did this for a living, that it would be less complicated for me. But merit scholarships are one of the biggest mysteries of all time in terms of the higher education world. And that's because all schools do them differently. So I think one major misconception is that the main focus is just going to be on academics, which is understandable because they're using the word merit. Um, But merit can mean a lot of different things in the scholarship world. Merit could be leadership. It could be research. It could be initiative and impact. And each school sets their own criteria. So some schools offer straight academic merit to all students that meet certain criteria. So the school my daughter attended, everybody got a little bit of merit aid if they hit a certain, you know, GPA. Some you have to apply to. There are a lot of um, really strong full ride, half rides merit scholarships out there, but they want you to apply in advance. And then some are like Duke, where you just are considered by applying to the college itself. And we're starting to see more of a shift in that direction, more so than there used to be out there. So by just applying, you're being considered. Oh, one other thing I will mention too, is to be really careful to pay attention to the difference between scholarship deadlines and admissions deadlines. So a lot of schools that require additional applications or even consider you, regardless of an additional application, will have an earlier application deadline to the school. So whereas maybe the deadline to apply is January 1st, the deadline to be considered for scholarships is December 1st. So you'll want to pay attention to that when you're considering your college choices. What role does standardized testing play in the merit scholarship selection process? And then have test optional test bind policies kind of complicated that? I will say for Duke, particularly for some of their scholarships, it used to play a, a pretty big role. I think that's true in the admissions office as well at elite schools. It's been an interesting past few years and that's changing. I think that when people have been reading applications for a number of years and they're used to taking into consideration a test score, you know, human nature makes that complicated. But I will say that the admissions office at Duke, as well as our scholarships office, put a lot of work into rewriting policies and doing trainings and making sure that it was very clear that these scores if they were not submitted, should not have an impact on the consideration. And so I feel like we did a pretty good job with that. I think we'll continue to see that to change. It will, I think, depend on what ends up happening when COVID is less of a factor. Will schools remain test optional? Will schools drop tests altogether? I think until they have data for how these classes are doing without those test scores as an indicator, we won't know for sure. So in the selection process, the admissions officers would choose the top candidates sort of and pass them on to your office. Then how did your office make the selections for who got the scholarships? So kind of, as I mentioned before, you know, um, I would get a ton of applications starting shortly after the ED deadline from admissions. So the reading process would usually begin, you know, a little before the holidays on my end. So I would read all the applications that came from admissions over, I would say, on average, around a thousand applications each season, Um, because you have to keep in mind that these are full ride scholarships. So there's no reapplying. Once you get it, you get it. They're worth well over $350,000. And so for each award, you were only maybe giving four to 10. So we're not giving a lot of these, right? So the first cut from my office, I would read. 
And then I would put into buckets based on whether or not a they met the criteria of just being a merit scholar. Cause some didn't, you know, sometimes admissions officers would send, they were good applications, but they just didn't quite raise to the level of being you know, eligible really for any of the merit scholarships. Um, and those would go right back to admissions for them to make a final decision on whether that student would be admitted. I would say 90% of the files I read were likely to be admitted, um, regardless, you know, of if they got considered for merit beyond that. And then after I did my first kind of push into buckets, um, they then went to the faculty director. So kind of very similar to the admissions office. There were two initial readers. So I would read, make my recommendations. The, then the faculty director would read everything I pushed the, to them. And that would vary, you know, depending again on the size of their program. So maybe they were reading 50, maybe they were reading 150. Um, and then they would make cuts at their level. And then from that point, once we had kind of a nice list, very few got cut at the faculty director level, then they would be pushed out to a third read. And then that's when the committee came in. So, you know, the third, you, if you were a committee member, Ellen, you might read 10 of those 50, right? Then you would read your 10, you would make your, you know, notes and scores and recommendations, and then we would have a committee meeting. So it's very similar to the admissions review process. You know, you have your reads, you have your, yes, this is definitely going to go on. And then you would have your committee meetings to kind of, you know, discuss and fight for the students that you wanted to see move forward. And then once we had those committee meetings, the lists that came out of that would be the finalists. And so the finalists were then notified they had become a finalist and they were offered the opportunity to participate in the process moving forward. Surprisingly, not all of them took us up on the offer. Maybe they had made a different choice at that point to go to a different school or something else had happened. But finalists were given additional tasks to complete at that point. So kind of like a, a mini, a, you know, they'd write a few essays, answer a few questions, and then those would be reviewed by the committee. And then an interview with all of them were would have an interview um, with a commit with a committee of two to four people, just depending on, you know, scheduling and things like that. And then from that point, we would have another meeting where we would sit down and we would choose from the finalist list who was going to be an initial award and who was going to be an alternate. So there's main criteria, which never changes. Uh, you know, the Karsh International Scholarship, you will always have to be an international student to be able to be considered for that. But the needs of the university or the needs of the scholarship cohort, that's what changes, you know, from year to year. Since the majority of the merit scholarships at Duke, students can actually apply to them separately. How should they fine tune their overall application to make themselves more competitive for scholarships? Yeah, so like for any school, honestly, that puts criteria out there about what those scholarships are, like, so Duke puts criteria out there. Um, the Office of Undergraduate Scholars and Fellows has all of the criteria and all the scholarships. So the first and best thing to do is to read about what are the criteria. And if you start that early, then you can kind of build up your resume to match the criteria. I mean, some things are out of the student's control. They can't control if they are African-American or from an African country. They can't control being international or not. They can't control the need necessarily. But there are pieces within each that you can control. But what I will say for all of them is that leadership and impact are going to be, you know, impact in your school and your community are always going to be important. And then you really need to focus on what is 
that scholarship's criteria. So for example, you know, the AB Duke program really is a research-based scholarship for students in a specific area. So students that want to be considered or want to be competitive to be considered for that scholarship, they need to have done research in their high school, you know, years, whether that's in summers or during the school year. So some schools don't publish the criteria and you just, you know, it's kind of like a crapshoot, but I would say many of them do. So the best thing to do is to find out what the scholarship wants and then kind of put yourself in the position to be that, to be what they want. The only merit scholarship at Duke, and correct me if I'm wrong, that students can apply to directly is the Robertson Scholars Leadership Program. Why is that one something that students can apply to directly and what should they highlight in that application? So that is true for the big fuller ed merit scholarships. There are some smaller programs that you can apply to once you're at Duke, but this is like I'm talking incoming freshmen. So the Robertson Scholars Program is unique in that it is a dual program between Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill. And so that's one of the reasons why they have an application process. Honestly, the main reason why they have an application process is because that's what Mr. Robertson wanted and for the program. Um, But because they are considering that students that are going to be attending both schools and they're going to be swapping a semester, kind of like a study abroad, if you will, um, that's one of the reasons. You can kind, you can be considered in a couple of different ways for this program other than direct. So you can be a school nomination because they do partner with some schools, particularly schools in certain countries, and then you can apply directly. What I will say is if you're interested in being considered for this program as an ED candidate, you have to apply directly. For RD candidates, there's two paths. They can apply directly, just like regular or I actually had the flexibility to send some students their way in the RD pool. So sometimes I would get a file from admissions and I would read that file and it wouldn't really match the scholarships that I oversaw, but I would actually see something that would spark, you know, Robertson in my mind. And I could send that over to the Robertson team to look at, um, but I did not have that flexibility for early decision. So if you are interested in being considered for Robertson as an ED candidate, then you have to apply directly. So Robertson is about high level, high impact leadership. So think the difference between uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being a member of a, of a nonprofit volunteer organization at your school or in your community, but they're looking at people who are doing, you know, the founding member, the president of these nonprofits, and they're looking for people who are doing things that go well beyond the school level. So we're talking about students that do things that have an impact on their regional level, their local level. Some of these kids are doing things on a national, international level. But the big thing they're looking at is high level, high impact leadership with the potential to continue that once they get to school. Um, But they've done some pretty impressive things already coming into this program, for sure. Both at Duke and in general, if a student doesn't receive a merit scholarship, what would you recommend their other options are regarding financial aid? I think that the question is different for domestic versus international students. Almost all elite schools even in top 50, you know, whatever you want to call elite, are need blind or moving towards need blind for domestic students, which means that checking the box that you're going to apply for financial aid doesn't hurt you in any way. And 
you may think that you're not going to get any aid at all, but there is a range of aid that you could get. It's also the way in which you qualify for um, loans potentially or institutional aid or um, work study. So as much and as annoying as it can be to fill out the FAFSA, at least for your very first year, you should try it. International students are a little bit of a different situation because on the flip side, most schools in the U.S. are need sensitive to um, for international students, meaning that there's a limited amount of money that they have available to give to international students for aid. And, and mainly that's because international students don't qualify for federal aid in the United States. So all aid that they're getting is either scholarship based or institutional aid. So there are some schools that are need blind for all students, international or domestic. So if that's something that's really important to an international student, they should look into what some of those schools are because it's unfortunate because there is a limited amount of money for international students. It does make the acceptance chances tougher, right? If you need aid versus if you don't. So that is something that I think some schools are getting better at. They're establishing scholarship pools for those students. But to be honest with you, like, especially as a domestic student, the best thing you can do is start with the FAFSA. There's also a lot of resources out there now for private scholarships. Um, and some of them require very little for you to, to do, but I would just, you know, start with looking into some of those resources and seeing, you know, even a few thousand dollars helps that could pay for books for a year or two. So, you know, just what is the cost benefit to what you have to do to apply to the scholar, to the college, particularly certain subject areas. Um, that's a great way to start narrowing down because the, the scholarship search can kind of go down a rabbit hole. But if you know you're interested in nursing or, you know, political science or engineering, you can kind of start searching there. I always say start with the thing you want to do because there's a lot of private scholarships out there that are specific to a certain area. Moving into the realm of candidacy building, how would you recommend that younger students build their profile if they're wanting to be more competitive in the future for scholarships, especially merit scholarships? Yeah, well, the first thing that they need to do is just to do well in school, um, to be competitive on an academic level. Um, and those grades need to show upward trajectory and they really need to show taking advantage of what the school has to offer. And particularly for academics, doing things outside of the school in an area that you're interested in is another way that you can kind of help build that up if your school doesn't happen to offer a lot of those advanced classes. Um, but I'll go back to what I said at the beginning with that intellectually engaged. So the leadership, the impact, the connection to the thing that you're interested outside of the classroom as well. Research is huge. If you can get an opportunity to do some research sometime through high school, definitely do it. There are lots of ways to do that now online. There are tons of programs where you don't have to be near a college campus anymore and go in person to do to do research. And there's a lot of different ways. Research can mean just even like helping, you know, a, a humanities project go through the, the data that they've collected or do a literature review for something. So there's a lot of different ways in which you can do that. But I will say that Merit scholarship readers get very excited when they saw a letter of recommendation come from a, re a research, you know, professor or a postdoc or some something like that, if, especially if it's really well written. So 
I would say definitely get some research under your belt. And then I would say the next thing after that is honestly focusing on one or two things in your school or in your community that you care a lot about and doing a lot of stuff for those one or two things rather than kind of scattering yourself around. Um, If sports is your thing, become a leader on your sports team. If music is your thing, do music, but then maybe look into ways that you can give back through volunteering. Can you teach like at your music studio? Can you volunteer teach at your dance studio? Um, If you're a writer, if you're an artist, you need to get published. And that doesn't mean that you have to be published in some amazingly well-known journal. There's a lot of opportunities out there now. There's student-run online journals and things where you can get yourself out there putting your art and your writing. If you are into engineering or computer science, do a lot of that because those are really competitive fields. The same thing is starting to be true for finance and in business. That's super helpful advice. Do you have any other additional words of wisdom you might want to share with students? I would just say like, it it is a much more competitive space in terms of applying to college these days. But there's a college out there for everyone. There are a lot of colleges that sometimes people overlook that are just really amazing connected colleges in a space that you want to be in. So sometimes maybe the focus on it being the top of the top schools isn't where you should be focused as much, as much as it is being in a place where you feel like you can get a really good education and the thing you want to do and you feel connected to both the place and the people um, because you're going to spend four years there at least and you should enjoy the place that you're going to be for that amount of time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into the merit scholarship selection process at Duke and in general. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag Inside Admissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.